This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth managers who go above and beyond to guide and support you. CanDo is more than just an attitude. It's navigating today for a brighter tomorrow. Visit CanDoWealth.com. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots. I'm James Hill and I'm joined today by Katie Walls, political editor of The Spectator and Stephen Bush of The Financial Times. Now today's Prime Minister's questions was dominated by one of the earlier exchanges which the two leaders discussed the murder of Brianna Guy. Katie, what do you think the Tory strategy is here? I mean, I don't think there was a Tory strategy. Effectively, this was a gaffe whereby Rishi Sunak was having an exchange with Keir Starmer and one of the usual attack lines we see every week when it comes to Keir Starmer says something critical of Rishi Sunak. Rishi Sunak tries to make it about the fact that he doesn't stand for anything. Mm. Lists various things. Tick 28 billion. Tick Jeremy Corbyn. You once backed him. And then tick, um, you don't know what a woman is. Look at your position. Now, looking at what happened today... I just don't think that Rishi Sunak would have thought about the fact that it is better not to say that when you have in the gallery the mother of a trans child who was murdered and obviously parts of that trial being that it was trans-motivated, at least by one of the convicted killers. So it was pretty tone-deaf. And I think then Keir Starmer immediately jumped on it. Now in a world where Keir Starmer is effectively saying, you know, this is shameful, how can you say this in terms of, you know, Rishi Sunak not not, not prime ministerial. Mm. Akir Starmer was hosting Rihanna's mother at this event, putting a photo on social media after, and I think trying to look very prime ministerial from it. And then near the end of the session, you had a Labour MP ultimately giving uh, Rishi Sunak the opportunity to apologise for the comment, to take back the remark. Now, he didn't take it in the sense of he didn't say... I take back my remark about, you know, trans people in Keir Starmer's position. But he did use it to express huge sympathy with Brianna's mother. And he did use it to ultimately talk about his deep admiration for her, her interview on Sunday and the way he'd handled it, but not to take back that specific remark. Now, I think where you get to on this is, should Rishi Sunak have said it? I think in the context, why would you say it? It's just an unnecessarily thing to add. It wasn't adding much to discussion. It's clearly, um, I think, quite insensitive given the tragic circumstances. Should he take back his party's position on trans? That's a different step. I don't think they're planning to do that. So I think it therefore comes to tactfulness or a lack of. And then I think you just add it to a week where Rishi Sunak's already being criticised for this £1,000 bet. He's already being criticised for hugging uh, a member of Sinn Féin. And I think probably where this is going to feel by the the weekend is more of an issue. It's just, is he able to read the room? Yeah, I mean, I think Katie has exactly the the right of it there in that obviously is a entirely legitimate political comment to point out that Justice's position on many other issues has evolved or degraded, depending on your perspective. Keir Starmer's view on this issue has changed quite a lot. I mean, I was actually the person who, who was interviewing David Lammy when he said that there were some people in this debate who were dinosaurs who wanted to hoard rights. And now the Labour position, as far as I can tell, seems to be that the dinosaurs were right, they're great. And when they said hoard, what I meant was they had the right idea about rights. So it is obviously a legitimate political attack mm. on Keir Starmer to say that his position on things changes and then therefore to try and use that as a bridge into can you really trust the Labour Party on any issue. However, it is also ill-judged and inappropriate to make that comment this week in these circumstances. And exactly as 
Katie says, I think that the the big problem I think that Rishi Sunak has is that a variety of incidences this week have underlined that, as it stands, this is not uh, a man who looks ready for a general election campaign. Mm. You know, we had, I mean, in a way, like to take the Piers Morgan interview, which I think is, is actually in many ways even more, you know, well, I, th- I just think the, the level of him not being ready for prime time this week is, is, is very strong, right? That, so this is an interview in which, Yes, it's been overshadowed by him saying, I'll bet you a, a grand, yeah. which is not an amount that the average voter in the UK thinks they can casually, well, could bet in any circumstances, mm. right? But even if you imagine he hadn't said that, his only his other news line coming out of that Piers Morgan interview was, yes, I failed on the NHS. Yeah, it was an interview which the Prime Minister clearly had no positive story to tell. Mm. And, you know, to, to, uh, you know, to, to, to shamelessly promote Katie's cover story in this week's spec, right? I think in terms of the argument that the plotters against Rishi Sunak want to make, which is, yes, it's disruptive to get rid of him. Yes, it wouldn't change. Yeah, it wouldn't mean it's not the difference between winning and losing. But can we go into an election with this guy? Hmm. I think then the big thing is it underlines that those questions, right? Yeah, it, it adds that voice which goes, oh, he campaigned against Liz Truss poorly. He campaigns in the local elections poorly. He is interviewed by um, Piers Morgan poorly, and then he stands up and does his cookie-cutter speech about Keir Starmer's faults without first going, hmm, I wonder if there are any current affairs or people in the room that I should be more cognizant of. Especially when Starmer had mentioned that as his very first comment. Yeah, exactly, right? It it just, although it is uh, obviously the most... Yeah, although obviously it's the most raw occasion because there's, there's never been a moment when he's been obviously speaking on his lines and... There's been someone who has lost a child in the room. It's not the first time he's obviously been speaking on his lines uh, in a time when it would have been better to be off the cuff. I doubt it'll be the last. And so, I, yeah, I think I think where this story is, is actually going is not going to be red-blue argument about, you know, who should have said what on this policy issue. I think it will deepen the blue-on-blue argument about... Yeah, I think some people will, like, unfairly blame the staff. Some people... Yeah, it will, it will just add to this sense of... Is the, has this guy got it? Yeah. Uh, Katie, my first question, I mentioned a strategy there, and I only asked because Kemi Badenoch has come out and lent into this argument and accused Keir Starmer of being shameful in linking his, quote, own inability to be clear on the matter of sex and gender directly to her grief. Yeah, so just as I think Rishi Sunak was uh, being criticised, perhaps some people were going to move on with the another story for the afternoon. You have Kemi Badenoch piling in on this and using her Twitter account to say it's shameful, as you say, for Starmer to link the two. Now, where do I think this is going? I think Kemi Badenoch is the type of politician, if she thinks something, she is going to say it. So I suspect this wasn't uh, part of some master strategy number 10 to try and win the day. I think in terms of Keir Starmer's comments in the chamber, I think he was thinking off the cuff. And I think some people in the chamber did think to say that in that setting was misjudged by Rishi Sunak. But of course, Keir Starmer doesn't have a particularly comfortable position on his own trans policy. And you've seen a bit today, him putting the photos up today, lots of people replying to him saying, it's nice that you've met with this lady. It's mm. nice that you're, you know, offering empathy and looking prime ministerial, but what exactly is the support you've shown for trans people in the past couple of years? Because your policy has been a bit all over the place. You haven't always been this champion and so forth. So I don't think that's quite the point Kemi Badenoch is making, but I think it is why, you know, there are limits to where this goes in the sense it's quite uncomfortable as a policy area for Labour in some ways. 
And on the Labour side, uh, Stephen, there's been more questions being asked about that 28 billion commitment. Can you just explain, first of all, where we're at? And second of all, where you think this row is going? I mean, look, this... Where is this row going? I mean, that's a question that really we'd have to ask Keir Starmer, right? And then essentially, right, the Conservative Party think correctly that the Labour Party is always vulnerable when you have what sounds like a large sum of money, the word borrowing and the word Labour Party that close to each other. And people in the Labour Party, including key advisors of Keir Starmer, many in the shadow treasury team, think that the Labour Party has a vulnerability on that issue. Then you have other people, including people in Keir Starmer's office, some people in the Shadow Treasury team, who think, given that, as discussed, Keir Starmer's views on a bunch of things have changed, there's also a quite big risk in retreating on the £28 billion further, because it underlines this, well, you know, what are we actually, vo- you know, like, not what are we voting for in a, like, what are we voting for as in, like, what's the difference between these two parties kind of way, but what are we voting for as in, like, Okay, but is his position going to evolve again Mm. after he leaves office? Now, broadly speaking, there are risks on both sides. There are the old familiar Labour risks of the campaigns we've all seen and covered in which questions about Labour and spending become so damaging to them. And then there are the specific, I would say, personal risks that due to the expediencies, being polite, Keir Starmer has reached for in order to change the position of his party, I would say he is uniquely vulnerable to accusations that he's shifty and his position changes with the wind. And essentially what has happened is that the Labour Party, the Labour leadership hasn't yet reached a firm conclusion about which one of those risks Mm. it would like the most, right? So there's basically an awful lot of, and if you look at the text of what various front benches are saying when they're asked on there mostly what they're doing is going well yeah fiscal credibility but you know the the target you know who you know like obviously the target will move around a, a bit but you know like yeah we're maybe still committed to it i think that now keir starmer has explicitly said on times radio that he wants to keep it mm. then that may be the beginning of getting a firm decision on it but yeah essentially what needs to happen for them to get past this is for the labor leadership needs to decide which one of those two risks they are more relaxed about. I think that the, where Keir Starmer now is, is he's decided he is more relaxed about the risk of the 28 billion than he is about the risk of uh, appearing to be shifty. I think one of the interesting things about it is it's now been playing out so long that I think when the Tories started pushing it, I'm not sure that they even believed it would take off in the way it has done, which I don't think is all down to genius as CCHQ. I think Labour have done a lot, a lot to, a lot to help them there. But the fact we've now got to the point where last week at the business conference, a really good example of you had Rachel Reeves not saying the figure. You had Keir Starmer saying the figure. Mm. You had a briefing that night, multiple Labour sources saying the figure is going. Then you had Darren Jones, obviously also in the shadow Treasury, Chief Secretary to the Treasury, using the morning round to almost appear to confirm it, though not explicitly, by saying the the figure will move, things will be decided when we're in government and it comes to specific spending per project. Mm. So I think there was a sense that maybe it had been put to bed or at least they were going down the ramp. So when you get to the point of actually junking the figure, you get there. And then for Keir Starmer to pop up in that Times radio interview on earlier this week and say 28 billion is important and so forth, it's hard to get around the idea that there is now probably the most significant 
policy disagreement to date between Keir Starmer and Rachel Reeves, just looking at what they are saying in plain sight. And on Politics Live today, Laura Trott, the Cabinet, uh, did ask Bridget Phillips and the Shadow Education Secretary, uh, which side are you on, Team Starmer or Team Rachel? Stephen, is this something we're going to see more of with the Tories, particularly at a time when there's a lot of blue on blue, to try and talk about Labour splits? Yeah, look, you're, you are always, partly because of the way that the BBC, which is obviously the most important uh, media outlet in terms of where most, you know, Almost everyone gets some of their news from it, where more swing goes to. The BBC in particular um, gets particularly excited by internal party splits, right? You you saw it a lot with Boris Johnson, right? Where like a Labour person calling for Boris Johnson to go mayor, Caroline Noakes doing it for the third time. Wow, you know this is this is news, and this is and this has always been the case, right? Part, internal party splits, even if they're actually old news, are treated as so. It's always a good line if you can try and find space between your party's key figures so i think we will see more attempts at that kind of thing but and also i mean actually the thing that the conservative party would desperately like to be the conversation point in westminster today is their attack on about six billion i think it is of the two billion yeah. two at 28 billion tranche which is the war, labor's warm homes policy where there's a back and forth of the conservative saying this isn't costed the labor party going you know, you've made a bunch of crazy assumptions about our policy, et cetera, et cetera. The Conservative Party will continue to attack Labour's bona fides on spending. And then there is always, both in government and opposition, tension between the Chancellor or the Shadow Chancellor, whose job it is primarily to control spending, and the Prime Minister, who obviously is the head of the spending departments, and always, particularly when they're a Labour Prime Minister, wants more of it. So I, I think, you know, we, we definitely haven't seen the last of this. I think the thing I would say, though, is actually... I think then the central cause of the 28 billion row being so public is about indecision within the Starmer setup rather than division between the Labour leader and the Shadow Chancellor, because there are a wave of issues where the two of them haven't agreed in the past. But what happens is is the Labour leader decides and then it and then a decision moves on. Whereas what we've visibly seen playing out, as well as those very visible divides between the two, two is a failure for the uh, of the leader to go. Okay, well. You've made your point. Here's mine. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you, Katie. Thank you for listening to Coffee House Shots. 